Good morning. It's wonderful to have us all together at, at our joint service this morning. Let's all stand up and worship together. Our first song is called What Faith Can Do. Everybody falls sometimes. You gotta have the strength to arise from the ashes and make a new beginning. Anyone can feel the ache. You think it's more than you can take, but you are stronger, stronger than you know. Well, don't you give up now. The sun will soon be shining. You gotta face the clouds to find the silver lining. I've seen dreams that move the mountains, hope that doesn't ever end, even when the sky is falling. I've seen miracles just happen, silent prayers get answered, broken hearts become brand new. That's what faith can do. It doesn't matter what you put, impossible is just a word to make it better. Everybody's scared to death when they decide to take that step up on. to have you all here. If you are wondering if you have a seat, there are some still some seats in the front. 
Um, I know we all love to sit in the front. Um, if you've got some room, maybe you can squeeze in a little bit in the middle if you've got some extra chairs. But we do have some people in the back that are looking for space, and that is a wonderful, wonderful thing. We are so glad they were all worshiping together. Let's prepare our hearts for worship by going to God in prayer. Will you pray with me, please? Dear Lord, we thank you so much just for the opportunity to come and praise your name. Lord, we wait all week for this glorious moment just to lift you high and just to, to feel your presence, Lord. Fill us up this morning. Help us to focus only on you and to take every word and every thought and every feeling with us for the rest of the week. In your name I pray. Amen. Who am I that the Lord of all the earth would care to know my name, care to feel my hurt? Who am I that the bright and morning star would choose to light the way for my ever-wandering heart? Not because of who I am, but because of what you've done. Not because of what I've done, but because of who you are. I am a flower quickly fading, here today and gone tomorrow. A wave tossed in the ocean, vapor in the wind. Would look on me with love and watch me rise again. Who am I that the voice that calmed the sea would call out through the rain and calm the storm in me? Not because of who I am, but because of what you've done. Not because of what I've done, but because of who you are. I am a flower quickly fading, here today and gone tomorrow. A wave tossed in the ocean, a vapor in the wind. Still you hear me when I'm calling. Lord, you catch me when I'm falling, and you told me who I am. I am a flower quickly fading, here today and gone tomorrow. A wave tossed in the ocean, a vapor in the wind. Still you hear me when I'm calling, Lord, you catch me when I'm 
lots of people here y'all don't know. I guarantee you. That's the reason we do this every quarter. So uh, turn and greet someone you don't know. And children, come join us up front for a few moments of sharing. everybody this morning let me read you a Bible verse from Mark chapter 1 and it's verse 22 it says the people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority not as the teachers of the law I have a question for you do you like playing games like this I brought a game with me this morning what game did I bring does anybody like playing checkers or other games like that? Oh, it's not, we're not going to open it this morning. Okay. Well, I like playing games too, and it's fun to get together with friends and family and play. How do you know how to play the game, though, Hudson? Exactly. You have to read the rules. Well, who makes the rules for the games that we like to play? Morgan? Y'all are good. Whoever came up with the game writes the rules. And why do we have to have those rules, Maren? Exactly. So that it's fun for everybody to play. Because if there weren't rules and you went to play the game, what would happen? Christy? Right, everybody might play a different way if there were no rules to follow and if there weren't some set guidelines on how to play it. Everybody might have a different idea. Well, there are rules that we have to follow in life, too, and I actually brought that rule book with me. What did I bring? Did you know that that was the rule book for life? You did? Good. You didn't? Well, let me tell you why. I have the rule book with me this morning for life, which is the Bible. And who wrote those rules? Who wrote that book? Jesus. Yeah, God wrote that for us. God created life, and so he wrote the rules. Just like the creator of a game like checkers or any game you like to play, just like the creator of that game wrote those rules, the creator of life, God, wrote the rules for life that we have to follow. And he wrote those rules for the same reason that people write rules for games, so that we all know how to play and how to follow along so that we can all enjoy it. Well, going back to the Bible verse that I read earlier, one day Jesus went into the synagogue and he started teaching. The Bible tells us that the people who heard him were amazed at his teaching. He didn't sound like the other teachers he sounded like someone who had written the rules. 
And that is exactly what had happened. He did write the rules. Jesus was God in human form, and he came to earth to teach us how to live. God made the rules, and he showed us how to follow them. Now he wants us to follow the rules so that we can all enjoy life just the way he intended it to be. Does that sound good? Are you okay? Okay. Will you close your eyes and pray with me? Dear Father, you have taught us how to live. Help us to follow the example of our Lord in whose name we pray. Amen. Alexander Scudder, fifth birthday, huh? Better go ahead and apply for Social Security. It, uh... <laughs> it's good to see everybody. It's, it's a, a wonderful occasion we have every fifth Sunday to all of us get together. Um, it also gives us some... Um, ways to experience different styles of worship. If you are a regular um, traditional worship attender, this is going to be very different. And same is true when we end up going to the sanctuary on fifth Sundays. But um, those things are good for us to, to experience things in different ways. So we're glad you're here and hope that if you're visiting here today, you will uh, take note of the fact that most Sundays, our service are, services are at nine o'clock in the Family Life Center and 11 o'clock in the um, sanctuary with Sunday school in between at 10 o'clock. And we invite you visitors to come back and worship with us as often as you can. We're always uh, honored to have you here and appreciate that you have chosen to be with us today. One of the things we do in this service is um, seek your input for prayer. Perhaps there are things that you are uh, very concerned about that you would like all of us to join you and pray in one accord that, that these prayers would be heard and answered. Um, so we invite you to fill out an index card with some prayer request on it. Our ushers have those index cards, and if you'll raise your hand up, uh, they will hand you a card. And if you'll write something down that it's okay for me to repeat, um, I will be glad to, to share that concern. And we will join you agreeing with you in prayer uh, regarding those concerns. Announcements for today. Children, remember our regular Sunday night programs, choir, mission kids, and Bible study will be meeting tonight from 5.30 to 7. See you then. Our next Wednesday supper is this week because February 1st is this week on Wednesday. Uh, in the social hall, we will have a catered meal between 5.30 and 7. Uh, for you to come drop in as you're able. Uh, the menu is chicken fingers, mac and cheese, green beans, rolls, dessert, and tea. I uh, hope to see you there for good food and fellowship. Let's see, today is a, a Good Samaritan Sunday. Um, we ask you to give an extra dollar to the offering plate so that we might be in ministry to the needy of our community through our Good Samaritan Fund. I've been asked to remind the women of the church about the call to prayer and self-denial 
which will be meeting on Monday, February the 6th at 11 a.m. in the social hall. The guest speaker will be, oh my, Amy Palagia, P-A-L-A-G-H-I-A, -A -A. I'm not even gonna try. International Student Ministry from Joshua's Way, so we uh, invite you to, to be present for that. Uh, funeral today for Marion Waters' father will be at three o'clock at Gray Funeral Home down in Clinton. I believe I have an announcement now from Leanna Morris, and um, then I have something else to tell you about, and Katie's going to come. Good morning. Thank you so much for your overwhelming response to our Children's Heart Project fundraiser. And thank you to everyone who, has, who helped me set up and serve and clean up. My goal when I started was $2,200. And I'm proud to announce that today I have received around $4,000. Me and my family will be going to Boone, North Carolina on February 13th to give the check to Samaritan's Purse. I'm so fortunate to have such a generous church family. Thank you so much. And in about sometime in the next month, a young lady will be flown here from Mongolia and have um, open heart surgery at the Mayo Clinic and will have a chance at life because of Leanna's hard work. And so we're grateful for your help to make it possible for this young lady to have a very serious heart surgery, but one that if she was a native of our country, she would have had years ago and would be fine today. So we're, we rejoice in that. Uh, one of the things that we're hoping to do as a Greenville district is to stop hunger now. Uh, we're having a district-wide event in April um, on the 21st to pack up some 285,000 meals, these long shelf meals, uh, and send them around the world to various places so that some folks can, can um, have some meals to survive. Uh, you'll be hearing more about that, but I want to to uh, get you thinking about that because we're going to need as a district to raise uh, over $70,000 to buy that food and then package it and put it in a uh, tractor trailer to, to be shipped off. Uh, Katie's coming out to tell us about one of the things that we're going to do to uh, help raise money for that. Good morning. In your chairs this morning, hopefully you found a pledge card for the Mission Kids Make a Swish fundraiser. This is the third year that we've done this fun basketball fundraiser. And you're invited to come out and watch the kids next Sunday afternoon here in the gym at four o'clock. They have a minute to make as many baskets as they can. So we're asking you to make a pledge per basket. And I think it will explain that on the pledge form, but if you have questions, please let me know. Um, and you'll receive um, a letter letting you know which child you sponsored and how many baskets they made. And the money this year is going to go to the um, project that Arthur just spoke about. So thank you for your support, and we'd love to see you um, next Sunday afternoon at 4. 
I remember somebody said they got a, a scutter boy last year and got wiped out financially. <laughs> so, um, if you've got your prayer cards ready, if you will uh, raise them up, our ushers will gather them in now and bring them to me. By the way, we got our sound system in the sanctuary repaired this last week. Um, turned out to be the major problem was uh, not bats in the belfry, but squirrels up in the attic. We're investigating now to see if the Presbyterians and the Baptists put the squirrels there, trying to sabotage. Of course, somebody at the Waffle House told me that now that y'all will be able to hear me at that service, uh, your attendance is going to go way down. But anyway... Let us join our hearts together in prayer. Lord, these are our special prayers for this day. We come knowing that you hear us and also knowing that there's power in individual prayer and more power when the church prays. These are our prayers. We pray for a niece who has many health problems. We pray for Miriam, who is struggling with breast cancer. We pray for a best friend that they would get good results from a CAT scan tomorrow. We pray for strength and peace for that person and his loved ones during this frightening time. We pray for baby Jude who is very sick. We pray for friends going through a divorce. We give you thanks that a, that a, a brother has found a job. We pray for a sister who is quite ill. We pray for Nancy Kiefer for a youth mission trip in July. We pray for those who are sick. We have an unspoken prayer request. We're glad that you know that prayer. And we pray also for Marsha Lee. We pray for Mike P. and his family as his mother is very sick and has a tough road ahead. We pray for Denver United Methodist Church mission trip to Belize, February 4th through 11. We pray for, for Molly Spurgeon, a first grade teacher who is still undergoing chemo treatment. We pray for healing and peace for all those who are suffering from cancer. For Joe uh, Peaky on an upcoming lung surgery. For troops in harm's way, their families and loved ones. We give you thanks for many blessings, including a wife's healing. We give you thanks for the many answered prayers and blessings uh, that the prayers bring to us. We give, you prayer, we give you thanks and ask for healing and comfort for Martha Gibson and Michael Haas. Lord, these are our prayers through Jesus Christ our Lord who has taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory.
forever. Amen. This time, let us worship God by giving.
bending beneath the weight of his wind and mercy. Don't get a speeding ticket. We changed things around in our, from our usual order of service, so Andy can head up the road to Slater. And there was a time when he and Kelly were dating that he got two tickets from the same cop in the same day, right? Right here, okay. Don't <laughs> Scripture lesson today is from uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 13. I just found this to be an interesting passage to look at in depth. Now, about food sacrificed to idols, we know that we, that we all possess knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. The man who thinks he knows something does not yet know as he ought to know. But the man who loves God is known by God. So then, about eating food sacrificed to idols, we know that an idol is nothing at all in the world and that there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things come, and from whom we live, and for whom we live. And there is but one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom all things came, and through whom we believe. But not everyone knows this. Some people are still so accustomed to idols that when they eat such food, they think of it as having been sacrificed to an idol. And since their conscience is weak, it is defiled. But food does not bring us near to God. We are no worse if we do not eat and no better if we do. Be careful, however, that the exercise of your freedom does not become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone with a weak conscience sees you who have this knowledge eating in an idol's temple, won't he be emboldened to eat what has been sacrificed to idols? So this weak brother for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. When you sin against your brothers in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause him to fall. Here ends the lesson. Here's my title. <clears throat> People who think they know it all really annoy those of us who do. <clears throat> I think that's what that passage is saying. Just the other day, when Penny and I decided to go out for supper, I suggested that we go down to the temple of Zeus or the temple of Aphrodite and order some of that good meat that had been sacrificed to one of those gods. But Penny reminded me that I have gout, and food offered to idols is especially bad for me. If anything will cause my gout to flare up, 
It's Cajun food and food offered to Zeus. Well, I guess that's one problem they had in the early church that we no longer have to worry about. I can't remember ever having one Bible study or one class in all of my education regarding what to do about food that has been offered at an idol temple. Um, I was told, however, that a few years ago when the Korean Christians were worshiping over at Zor and they cooked lunch on supper, uh, lunch and supper over there on Sundays, that around Zor Church you had this aroma that lasted all week. I don't know. I guess that's a, true of that kind of food. But um, usually when this passage of scripture is discussed, we emphasize the fact that there are some gray areas where Christians are not in total agreement, and it really is okay that we're not. It's not that important. Back in those days when Paul wrote these words, <clears throat> some people could eat meat that had been cooked at a pagan temple without giving it a second thought because it was just food, and idols were not real. Paul was one of the people that felt that way. But others, especially former members of those pagan religions and Christians who came from very strict Hebrew backgrounds felt that anything that came out of those pagan temples should be avoided at all cost. I suppose that in our day and time, as we of our different denominations talk about things, one of the issues that we are a little bit in disagreement about is, is regarding the use of alcohol. All of us in all the churches agree that the abuse of alcohol and the overuse of alcohol should be avoided. Um, and some people say totally and some are a little bit different. Whereas we use grape juice in our communion services, there are churches that use the real thing in their communion services. Don't you love that? Welch's grape juice being poured there at the Last Supper. I remember a time when I left uh, the United Methodist Church after hearing a sermon on uh, how important it was to totally avoid alcohol. And I went with a friend of mine down to the Lutheran Church where we had a wine and cheese party. I was very confused that night. I suppose that Paul's main message is still an important one for us to remember. Young Christians are always watching us. Therefore, our actions should always be tempered by that awareness that, that if we do something that causes someone a problem, um, we need to be very cautious about that, aware that what we do is not just for ourselves, but it impacts other people, and that should guide our decisions. But when you leave that message out and just look at this passage for other things, there's something else that I would like us to look at today. Running in the background of this passage is a much more important issue than food. It has to do with one attitude that Christians should try to avoid and another attitude that we should embrace and try to employ. The wife of a pastor that I used to work with used to say to those of us who uh, stepped out the stepped out of line a little bit, she'd look at us and she'd say, you know, Arthur, God doesn't like ugly. I remembered that. Whenever she'd see an attitude that was outside of the Christian attitude towards someone else, she'd say, God doesn't like ugly. And that seems to be what Paul is saying in this passage. There's an attitude that Paul advises us to have that builds up the faith and another one that tears it down. 
Some years ago, a new United Methodist Church was starting over in Spartanburg. They had a council on ministries that met to work on a statement of purpose. What were they going to be as a church there in that community? They came to the part where they were struggling with what it is that was going to hold them together as a fellowship. What would be the glue for their faith? They first considered common knowledge. Did they all share a common knowledge that would build cohesion in their fellowship? Could they agree doctrinally about everything? Well, they very quickly decided that they were from so many different backgrounds that that wouldn't work. Not everyone agreed perfectly on all the doctrines. And so their knowledge was not uniform enough and would only make for fights. Then someone suggested that godly love and acceptance could be a force of unity within their church. They might not always be able to see eye to eye on everything, but they could agree to always strive to love one another with the love that God had for each one of them. And they agreed that that would be the glue. And it became a very, very strong church with lots of diverse opinions, but a whole lot of love. What a strong church. I remember years ago, there was a little um, movie that was produced, and we used to show it in uh, Methodist churches back when everybody had those 16 millimeter uh, projectors that have gone the way of the dinosaur, I guess. But uh, the name of this particular movie was, When Is It Wrong to Be Right? And the answer was, when your rightness fractures relationships, it's wrong to be right. Paul is telling us the same thing. He had already come to that same conclusion. Knowledge could not produce unity in the Christian church. On the contrary, knowledge puffed people up, he says. It made some folks proud and led to many divisions in the church. Love builds up he says. Thinking about the actions and the attitudes that people could take to increase love among the membership was the answer that Paul gave us. But just what does this love look like? Just what should our attitudes toward one another be for those attitudes to be Christ-like? I think we see some hints in Paul's words. First, Paul says, all of us possess some knowledge. If a person thinks that they alone have a corner on the market of knowledge, we know everything, and the other people are, are just, you know, they don't know anything, then that person is going to turn out to be a very divisive person. It's bad enough to think that you know it all. It's an added insult to think that you're dealing with a bunch of dummies. There's a bunch of dummies. <sighs> who know nothing whatsoever. Paul says, we all have some knowledge. A Christ-like person is one who realizes that he or she has some knowledge on a subject, but other folks have some knowledge as well. Secondly, Paul says, the man who thinks he knows something still doesn't know everything. You still don't know all you ought to know, which means we got more thinking to do. Even those who think they know all that is to be known on a subject have more to learn. At any time, 
Our knowledge is only partial knowledge. Our research is always ongoing. That awareness keeps us humble. You can see this attitude in Paul's remarks about gods and idols. You know, the word idol means something whose chief characteristic is that it's not. I like that definition. An idol is nothing at all. Paul clearly believes that the gods represented by idols don't really exist. There is no God but the one God. But then in verse 7 he says, you know, but not everyone knows this. Some folks believed that there was something real about those idols. They believed that those idols had some objective reality about them. Perhaps they were inhabited by demons. As I flip through the television at night, as I love to do with my remote control, I see some interesting shows that are on in the 21st century. Folks hunting for ghosts. We haven't come all that far. We've got a lot of more questions than we've got answers, I think, sometimes. So Paul yields to those who believe that there may be something real, after all, about those idols when he says, but even if there are so-called gods, whether on earth or in heaven, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us, for us, there is only one God, the Father, and one Lord Jesus Christ. Now look at that. That's a remarkable statement. Paul firmly believed that there was no God except the one God, and yet he made allowance for those who would disagree with him, who would believe that there might be many lesser gods. Those who believed that the gods of the idols perhaps were somehow real. And he finds a common ground with them by saying, well, for us, there's only one God that we ever worry about or think about or study about. Even if there are other gods, and there are plenty of things people serve instead of the Almighty, is that not true? People are addicted to money, popularity, drugs, even other religions. People in our day worship lots of things besides God. Yet for us Christians, there is only one God and one Lord Jesus Christ. Well, today I wanted to look at these words because um, I wanted you to see that the, um, the ideas of openness and acceptance of our differences, what we used to call diversity or pluralism, are actually found in the Bible in the writings of Paul. I wanted you to see that this idea of tolerance isn't something made up by modern theologians of the 20th century to water down Christian beliefs. Some people seem to think that, but it's very old. This passage is all about allowing love to be the glue that holds us together in spite of the fact that we might disagree about what we know and what we believe. One of the things I've always loved and appreciated about the United Methodist Church is we don't put a straitjacket on you and tell you this is exactly what you've got to believe. Or you can't be here. There are some churches that routinely check you out to see if you're orthodox. We will allow thinkers to walk a line around the beliefs to, to be working out your understanding of things. It's a freedom that not all denominations, not all churches 
are able to allow its members. And I've always appreciated that. It's been the uh, fertile field for growth in my life as I've been free to think and to work and to study. I wonder how our witness about Christ to the world would be received if we embodied Paul's attitude that there are, there are many religions in the world and perhaps many lords, and yet for us Christians, there's only one God and one Lord Jesus Christ that we're interested in. So often people of other cultures become offended by what they see as Christian narrowness and arrogance, and they become closed to hearing whatever we've got to say because they know that we're closed to them and close to hearing their witness to us about reality. They say that we act like we're better than they are and say they won't listen to us. I wonder what would happen if we copied the example of Paul when he went to Athens. And in all humility, he began his witness about Jesus from inside of their own religion when he said, Men of Athens, I see that in every way you're very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with the ascription to an unknown God. Now that's the one I want to talk with you about today. The one that you worship as unknown. That's the one I'm going to tell you about. I wonder what success we would have if we remembered the words of Sri Lankan evangelist D.T. Niles who said that Christianity is one beggar telling another beggar where he found bread. People who think they know it all really annoy those of us who do because knowledge can cause one to be puffed up. But people who love others with the love of God build others up as they build up the church. Let us always strive to be builders of Christian community in our midst by loving one another. Amen. I invite you to stand with me and affirm your faith in God using the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven, and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Remain standing and sing with us.
Now, you know, if y'all let the Baptists beat you to the cafeterias today, you are real slow. Uh, we got a head start for sure today. Thank you all for being here. And may you go forth in peace to remember that we are called to love the world, to embrace the world into the arms of God. May you go forth in peace. Amen.